Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Source Fine Asia, co-host of the Made in China podcast, and the host of the Source Fine Asia YouTube channel, of course. Back with another, another one. one. So, in this video, it's been a while since I did one like this. I'm gonna be answering some questions from the YouTube channel, and also from one question in particular from the webinar that I thought was was interesting. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. First off, just want to start with the YouTube channel question. So we have AA here, he or she or, or they, right? Does the buyer pay government tax or does the supplier pay government tax? Please advise. So my assumption here is that you're asking about the export tax. There's a there's luxury taxes and export taxes and then the general taxes that you know a company pays in China if they're buying and selling a product, sales tax. So typically the way it works is if you are, whoever is exporting the product is the one who pays the taxes to the government. What the factories will usually sometimes do if you don't, if you don't pay attention to it is if you pay them in RMB, they'll include that, that export tax into the actual cost of the, the product. Because uh, as far as they're concerned, you're basically buying the product. As far as the government is concerned, you're basically buying the product as a local supplier. So like if we buy product from factories, if they want to do it the proper way, they would usually include that export tax. If they don't, then we pay it. And then you typically, I think it's about what, three to six months later, like when you export the product, when you prove to the government, you submit documents and six months later, you get the, the export um, taxes back, but it's not the full amount like you get. I forget what the amount is, but it's like a percentage of it. So you just have to ask, like, and this is, you don't have to worry too much about it if you're paying in, in foreign currency, especially if you're paying a factory into like, let's say their Hong Kong bank account rather than paying them in mainland China. Um, but it's definitely something that you want to start inquiring in if you start to deal more with like trading companies um, or if you start to actually pay the, the factories in local currency. Um, who's who's responsible for that um, that tax? Also, a lot of times factories will give you two options. They'll say like, "Do you want the real invoice, or do you want like an invoice just for your own uh, tax purposes in your country?" Um, and typically, what that means is if you get the real invoice, they're going to add the, the the taxes into it. Um, if they give you like you know just an invoice as in for you guys, then you know they won't have the taxes into it because. Then of course they play fast and loose with their reporting of revenue and all that stuff, and that's a whole other that's a whole other story that I'm not even like I don't run a factory, so I'm not even qualified to talk about that kind of stuff. But just from my experiences, that's what it is. So I hope that answered your question. Again, you really shouldn't be worrying about that kind of stuff unless you're paying the factory in in RMB. It doesn't really make as much of it. And of course, if your orders start to get to a certain size as well, that's another thing that you have to be taking into consideration. But you have to remember is like the factories don't make money from those tax returns they don't get the full amount back so it's more just they get some of it back but and it takes a long time the whole process like they'd rather just not pay those export taxes all right so the, from the webinar so as uh, as i mentioned probably that video should be out by now generic products that you could use so what i do is i will type in the name of the product right and if i know the material 
I would uh, type in the name of the material as a descriptive word. So let's say you're looking for a bamboo garlic press. But I'm sure you guys have seen the promotion for the webinar. We did uh, another one on you know the steps that we use in Source Find Asia to find high quality suppliers. So I, I developed uh, quite a quite a few years ago. I developed the safe method, but it's a combination of you know things that Mike has taught me and and my own experiences running the company, and then we kind of put it into. It's also a combination of some of the standard operating procedures that that I created at the beginning in terms of how we contact suppliers and the you know coming up with a, a strategic formula in terms of how to contact suppliers so we can get can replicate the same, same results because basically what happened was when I started it was me contacting factories and I had to learn from Mike and then I came up with like templates and stuff like that because it's like if you're gonna contact 20, 30, 40, 50 suppliers you can't be writing a customized email every single time so I came up with templates and then it was a copy and paste situation just change a few bits of information and then when we started working with a team, my team started using the same templates. And then I started to notice that there were certain, like after let's say the initial email, they struggled to uh, get the same sort of information that I would get. And I was like, I guess part of it is because I'm a foreigner. But it, so a lot of times the factories will be a little bit more receptive towards you if like you're contacting them as the foreign buyer. And that time we didn't really know how to communicate properly that we were like a company and all that stuff. So anyways, like I, basically what happened was I had to replicate the stuff that I would say to factories, the questions that I would ask to factories and put it into a concise like step-by-step -step process that we could then pass on to the staff. So that was, you know, like I said, this was a combination of those three things, my experiences, my experience, and then also just having to teach my employees how to do this. And then I just obviously developed over the years, but it's a pretty solid four step, actually technically three step, but the fourth step is more transitioning into project management. So uh, ironically on the webinar, the webinar questions were really good. Like I was really happy with the content and, and you know, the, the quality of the questions. Like a lot of people were asking very detailed, very specific project management questions. And I was like, okay, this is, this is I've got an educated audience for this webinar. but. A couple of questions that people asked me and I saw a question on our YouTube channel which was in a similar vein was about registering a company. Alright, so Richardson writes on the YouTube channel, um, did you register as a manufacturing or consulting WUFI, which is WFOE, wholly foreign owned entity in mainland China? And somebody on the webinar also asked, what's the process of registering a company in mainland China? So there's a, there's a podcast that I did I don't remember the number, but we'll link it up in the description of the video. There's a there's a podcast that I did specifically about the process that we went through for registering our company in mainland. I think it was like episode 47 or something. Like that. And so I would I would advise if you want to learn about the process deeply, listen to that because I think it's a 20, 30 minute straight rant of me just talking through the steps that we were going through. And it was fresh in my brain at the time. So it's a little bit different from me talking about it now. Like I probably have to listen to that to remind myself of certain details. But to answer your question, we did both. We registered as a manufacturing consulting UFI in Guangzhou. So we worked with this company called High Touch. And you know, if anybody wants to work with them, please feel free to reach out. I can make an introduction. They have a long history. I think they're like 20, they're like a 20 plus year old company. They've been doing mainland registration for foreigners and everything related to that. Like, so visas, 
accounting, like all the stuff that you would need to set up a company in China and to manage your company moving forward. They've been doing that for 20 plus years. And then they also do Hong Kong registration and Hong Kong banking and, and mainland China banking. So um, High Touch basically contacted us and you know asked us, you have to provide a scope of what your business does when you're registering a mainland China company. And I just said, yeah, we're a consultancy because we don't typically buy and sell the products. We're not your traditional trading company, right? So we don't, we're not like, we don't have like a bunch of items on our website and you just order from us and then we go buy, you know, from the supplier or the, the actual factory. We help people find the factories, we help people manage the factories and we take a separate consulting fee for their services. Uh, on occasion, we do have situations like when we work with some of the larger brands we work with, like Cirque du Soleil with the LED balls, um, and when we've done orders at Walmart in the past, that, those are situations where they just come for turnkey solutions. Like they just want to buy in the product from you. They give you a target per unit cost, and then they give you their order quantity, and they're like, go figure it out. So we do still have to, on occasion, do the trade, the traditional training thing. So we registered as a manufacturing consulting company. The process itself, this is just going to be a quick one because, like I said, you need to listen to that podcast if you want the deep dive. It's a three to six month process, depending on what kind of company you're registering and also where you're registering. I know in some of the, the free trade zones, Shanghai and Shenzhen was one of them. It was faster, like they were trying to incentivize people to register companies in, in different parts of, of China because everybody registers in Shanghai, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, you know what I mean? Like every, and Beijing, like everybody just goes to the big cities. So they were trying to get people to branch out and they still are. So if you were to register, in, just as a random example, if you were to register in like Jiangmen, which is not a, that small of a city, but it's not the most appealing city for a foreign company to register and for foreigners to live in. They would, there would probably be some incentives to, to do that. If you were to register in freaking uh, Xinjiang province, which is Western China, like there's just like, there's nothing there besides factories and, and, and farmland and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, that's another area where it's like, there's incentives to, to the government provides incentives for people if they wanted to open a factory there or offices there. So anyways, three to six months, if you work with a consulting company, I would say you should expect to spend on the actual process of registration, including consulting fees, I'd say about five to seven K. Again, depending on the product, depending on the type of company that you're registering, it's very different if you're registering a FinTech startup versus a you know e-commerce business versus a you know tech like a like a an e-commerce business would be one, but then versus like registering a, a service-based business. Uh, versus registering a trading company like there's a lot of different factors that go into how expensive your license is going to be and then the other thing is you have to put in some investment capital into a Chinese bank account typically they say it's supposed to be a year's worth of expenses but depending on who you work with whatever consulting company you work with it's going to vary so like we had to put in we paid our all in with the license the process all that stuff we spent about six thousand I believe yeah six thousand dollars and then we had to put in a further 10K into a Chinese bank account, into our business bank account, which had to sit there in its entirety for 30 days. And then on top of that, afterwards, we couldn't just take everything out. We had to like slowly take out the money, which was very difficult at the time, because I mean, it was 2017. Like I think any small company or, or, or startup for them to have $10,000 
even 5,000 or 6,000 like tied up where it's like you could be spending this money on you know marketing or, or paying salary and exp- salaries and expenses and stuff like that I actually had to borrow uh, money to, to make sure that and also it just was more expensive than I expected I didn't expect to pay that 10k we were not told that at the beginning I was expecting to spend around six seven and then you end up spending sixteen thousand dollars it was like fuck but um, yeah so it takes you to six months if you work with a consulting company it's pretty straightforward because they just basically ask you a bunch of questions in terms of what your business is going to be doing you have to get an office with an address as in like not a virtual office you have to get a physical location there's some rules around the size of office that you have to get. So like, I don't remember the square footage, but basically there's some, like you have to get an office that's a certain size because it indicates that you're a real business. And then, you know, they, like I said, they asked us a bunch of questions. You have to decide who's the chairman of the, the company, who are the co-owners, who's the legal representative, who's the financial representative, who's like the most senior employee, like uh, I guess, executive or whatever so these three obviously with the chairman stuff like that's also super important like the owners of the company um, and who's like the main owner versus everybody else legal rep two of the very key positions on that license even if they're not owners of the company legal representative and uh, sort of financial manager or whatever the like i guess you maybe the equivalent in, in english would be like the cfo so the legal rep is important because if anything happens with the company, first, the legal rep's name is on the license. If anything happens with the company, if, sorry, no, the owner's name is on the license, but the legal rep is on the information if they were to do a backend search of your license. If anything happens with the company, if the company borrows money or if something happens where you're, the company is liable for something, the legal rep is going to be the person that is responsible for that is is considered to be the single person in the company that's responsible for that so and then on top of that any sort of official documents like you know because i've always talked about this chinese companies have the red seal any sort of official documents that need to be stamped the legal rep is supposed to be the person who has the stamp and you know like basically if you want to change any information about the company the legal rep is the person has to do it like, so that person is a very key individual in the business. And then the, the red stamps in a Chinese company are like, like I could be the owner of the company and if I don't have the red stamp and I go to the bank and I'm trying to like remove somebody from the bank information or I'm trying to you know, open a new account or take out money or whatever, they'll be like, no, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, you need the stamp. So that's, that's an extremely important position. And then obviously the financial person is, is, another, is another important position because that person can go to the bank and can do certain things without you know, ownership or the legal rep being present for, for those things. I certainly think like if you're running the business in mainland China, like you should be the legal rep. I don't think anybody else in the company should like I'm the legal rep for our business. Unless you're running some sort of illegal operation and you, you know that the shit is gonna hit the fan. <laughs> which we do not encourage here at the Source Finance YouTube channel. Um, and then uh, some other things to think about, like is, the, like, is it worth it? Because th- why, why do you want to do that? Are you actually trying to sell to Chinese market? Are you trying to create some uh, further ties here? Are you doing it for, like, let's say visa purposes? Because once you own a Chinese company, you can then apply for uh, permanent residency, which is significantly better than having like a business visa. But uh, what are your long-term plays? Is a long-term play for China? The reason why we did it is because, yeah, I plan on running this company here in China and expanding it in different ways. 
for you know as long as possible and then a, a big part of that was just getting a higher caliber of employees because a lot of the employees that we were hiring before we were like hey we have a hong kong company but we don't have a mainland company yet and whatever and then they were like no we get like because then you can't provide certain benefits like uh, you know health insurance and and uh, social insurance and things like that at least you can't provide it directly from the company itself so and it's different if they get social insurance individually themselves versus if the company is doing it, companies tend to get better rates and, and benefits for their employees. So like those things like that, like if we were hiring people, some of the employees that we thought were really, really qualified, they wanted us to have a mainland, a mainland company registered. And then, you know, like I said, permanent residency, those, those kind of things, because I have noticed China is becoming a little bit more strict about the whole visa process for a lot of a lot of foreigners. So yeah, I mean it's a, it's a long-term play like you don't I don't I wouldn't recommend it and if you think you're just going to be you're testing out China or you're coming into China for like a couple of years and, and I don't think that's the move. I think you know registering a Hong Kong and by the way if you register a Hong Kong company it actually makes it easier to register a mainland China company because you already technically have the documents and our Hong Kong company is basically at this stage as a parent company to our Chinese company. So the, and then there's an extra layer of protection. So, you know, basically what would happen uh, besides me being the legal rep, if something happened with our company in mainland, they would try to go after mainland company. If the mainland company couldn't handle that issue, then they would try to go to the parent company in Hong Kong. But as everybody knows, uh, uh, Hong Kong companies are all limited companies. So, you know, that's, that's pretty, it's like a separate entity from the owners. So, yeah, uh, that's pretty much a little deep dive, well, mini deep dive into, you know, the process of registering a, a Chinese company in mainland China, not in, not in Hong Kong. Um, like I said, if you want a more detailed step-by-step uh, -step of what we did, check out that podcast i believe it's episode 47 but if it's if i'm not 100 sure check the the link in the description below if you like this kind of content like comment share subscribe 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 and get us to 1000 subs man we're so close so close like 858 i've got like two months to get to this a month and a half two months a month and a half two months to get to a thousand and uh yeah i mean i'd like I mean, it's it's pretty crazy. Like uh, six, eight months ago, I think we had like two, three hundred subscribers. I was celebrating three hundred. Like we're getting, you know, one or two. We're getting like two to three subscribers a day these days. So it's a it's a pretty awesome feeling to see the the channel snowballing and and, and just seeing all the comments that you guys drop, um, the people that reach out to me individually, the people that are coming to our webinars, the people that are reading. Uh, the email list, uh, like the, the weekly emails that we send out and the engagement, it, it, it's really, it, it gives me energy to do more of this. And um, and like I said, I, I've said before, for me the goal now is to raise the production value. Um, I just got an iPhone XS. I mean, even just that, like, and then I'm, I'm also going to be getting like a DSLR suit. So, you know, just upping the production value with all the travel that I'm doing, I, I really do have to make sure that the, the camera equipment that we're using is, is matching the, the environment that I'm going to be in. So I can do more shoots like this. I'm filming at night. I couldn't film at night with my old iPhone. So, yeah. All right. That's enough of me. Uh, we'll see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers.